Hi, this is Jeff. Welcome to The Rush of It All. First, welcome to everyone who subscribed after my last post, UTMB Gone Astray. There were a lot of you. Thanks. That post drew more attention than anything I've published here before, and I'm heartened by the fact that so many people shared concern about the situation and were willing to speak up about it. In the interest of fairness, I want to acknowledge that UTMB gave a prompt and professional reply to our organization's request to have our race, Eastern States 100, removed as an index race, and they sent this link to their open letter to the trail running community. I'm not personally swayed by this, and our response was not based on the technicalities of the situation, but I appreciate that they at least acknowledge the issue. Now, on to today's topic, through lines. In the first of my 20 years ago posts about my second tour of duty in Iraq, change of mission, Iraq 2003, I said that running can be a test in itself, an elective hard thing, but it can also be a way to get through hard things an anchor, or a refuge, a consistency that's there regardless of pressures and chaos and deprivation. That's true, but there can be more to it. The real power, the thing that takes you beyond just temporary refuge, is continuity, the fact of a through line that is solidly anchored in your past and that you can see leading clearly into your future, even if that line is the only thing you can see. The strength of it depends on the strength of the anchors and how tightly you grab hold of that line and follow it. I think it was during this deployment that I first thought of it this way. Here's a journal entry from June 29th, 2003. There really are these two things that ground me that have been pieces of constancy and relative stability through the past several years, writing and running. For the past five to six years, I've been steadily doing both, regardless of what else is happening. And there was a lot happening. Where I'm living, what I'm doing, what the external factors are. Looking back now at my running and writing through those days, I can see how much I needed that, how preserving and formative it was. In particular, I can see that my commitment to a nascent marathon streak helped set my anchors in stone and gave me the through line that decades later, I still grasp tightly. Finally, on mission. After months of mobilization training, we finally arrived in Southern Iraq in April, 2003, 30 days after the start of the war. Our mission was tactical civil-military operations and support to civil administration in southern Basra province, specifically in the towns of Umkasar, Safwan, and Korzabayar, and at the port of Umkasar, which is also where we lived, on a British logistics base located on the port. There are many stories to tell about the work we did there, but those are for a different post, or maybe a book. This one is about running. When we arrived to Umkasar, we didn't know how long we'd be there. The optimistic scenarios had us home by autumn, but other versions said we'd be there until sometime in 2004. At this point, my running was only a tenuous through line, but I was already starting to identify as a runner. And in 2002, I'd managed my fifth marathon in as many years, despite being mobilized then too. That one was an easier one to manage. I was deployed to Germany for work in the Balkans and I lived in Stuttgart. So from the start of this deployment, I was scheming about how to get my 2003 marathon in, either by getting home in time to run it in the fall or by doing one here. Soldiers were already staging marathons in Afghanistan, so surely we could do the same thing in Iraq or Kuwait. So I embraced the heat, I did my job, and while off duty, I ran. A long, hot summer and lots of loops. 
Initially, the threat level was low, and the entire port facility, over a mile and a half end-to-end, was guarded and secure, so there was room for relatively large loops and lots of exploring. The weather was warm from the beginning, and by May, it was consistently over 100 in the daytime, but it didn't really get hot until June. The sampling of my journal entries tells the tale, both the good and the bad, of heat acclimation. June 1st, 2003. I can't believe how low my heart rate is staying lately when I'm running. It is weird, and I thought maybe the machine was misreading it, but I've done spot checks and it's accurate. And my heart rate is 5 or 10 beats lower than I would expect it to be. Maybe it's a short-term fluke, or maybe I just all of a sudden got healthier from the fresh Iraqi air or something. June 8th, 2003. I would like to think that today was just one of those periodic flukes of a bad day for me running. And that well may be the case, but it also might be the case that I got cocky about my abilities and didn't give proper respect. I've been doing fine lately with my afternoon evening runs at 105 degrees. And so I wanted to challenge myself. So I decided to do do a double lap, which would have been 7.4 miles. And I waited for the hottest part of the day to do it. It was at least 113 degrees and maybe warmer. And it was full sun and I wore my 100 ounce camelback, which weighs several pounds for the first time. And I set out with good intentions, but it quickly became evident that it would be a struggle. My heart rate shot up and stayed up early on, and I couldn't keep it in the zone for anything without walking, which I eventually did. Was it the extra five degrees, the extra weight, maybe just a bad day? I don't know for sure, and it probably is a combination of all of that. I just have to take it in stride and learn from it and not be so cocky about hot weather running. And most of all, continue to be careful without taking the easy way out. June 10th, 2003, two days later. Well, I feel better about myself now. I went out and ran today when it was at least 112, and I ran 5.6 miles, and it was fine. So it makes it seem more and more like the bad run on Sunday was just a bad day. I didn't set any records, but I did finish strong, and my heart rate stayed down, and I felt fine. And I will do a good week of running. Shoot for maybe 27 miles total. I think that level will be very sustainable. Then... I can start to add a long run each week once I have a date in mind for a marathon. By mid-June, the days of free-ranging the port were pretty much over. Much of the port had been opened, the security situation was beginning to fray, and the only consistently safe running was within the confines of the logistics compound we lived in. A set of five large warehouses within a perimeter wall of shipping containers topped with barbed wire. I was reduced to endless looping, in the space between the buildings on the wall. It's less than 0.8 miles per lap, four loops for a 5K. Of course, there was no Strava back then, and I didn't get my first GPS watch until later in the tour, so knowing precise distances involved careful map measurements and a systematic approach. I kept lots of records. I logged hundreds of laps of that nasty little compound, the broken vehicles, the oil-soaked sand, and I kind of hated it. But in another way, the hypnotic sameness of it over and over was soothing. As the temperature climbed and the mission dragged on, it helped keep me sane. It also made me stronger. This is two months later in a letter to Renee on August 10th, 2003. I hate to brag, but Wednesday was the hottest day we've had so far, and I waited until mid-afternoon when it peaked to go for my run. I already had a run at 120 degrees, but now I've logged mileage at 123 
how many people can say they've done that. We were in Umkasar yesterday and sat down on the porch of a building in the market to talk with some people. Lieutenant Colonel Williams and I sat there for about 20 minutes. And when we got up, the people were laughing. The plastic chairs we've been sitting on were soaked. And there was a 1.5 foot diameter puddle of sweat on the floor underneath each of our chairs, just like we'd pissed ourselves. Another very humid day. And in full battle gear, it gets hot. The vest itself weighs 23 pounds with the new ceramic plates loaded in it. End of mission date and a plan, Philadelphia. By mid-August, we finally had a solid date for end of mission, August 31st. And it looked like we were on track to be home by October. So I did my research, picked the perfect welcome home marathon. Our unit was from Philadelphia. And I started recruiting other runners. Here's the press release I sent to the brigade. 22 August 2003, for immediate release and widest dissemination to the 304th Civil Affairs Brigade. Two of the 304th Provisional leads the way again. The first in, last out, fought will be damned soldiers of Task Force Eagle are once again leading the 304th Civil Affairs Brigade into battle. This time the stakes are lower, but the intensity of the challenge is not. The battlefield is 26.2 miles of Philadelphia asphalt, the 10th annual running of the Philadelphia Marathon on Sunday, 23 November. 2003. The list of participants is a leadership who's who for the unit. Eagle 6, Lieutenant Colonel Nick Maverick Roper. Eagle Red 6, Lieutenant Colonel Pete Darwin Goble. Eagle White 6, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Jesus Williams. Eagle Blue 6, Lieutenant Colonel Jules the Count Orisvari. Eagle 5, Major Jeff Duke Calvert. Eagle 7, Sergeant First Class Albert Pandemonium Pando. A challenge issued. These intrepid soldiers enthusiastically invite and challenge the leadership of the brigade's various other sub-elements to join them in this endeavor. They point out that as yet, there's no representation from the enlisted ranks, and there are no company-grade officers. They also note a preponderance of former armor officers in the group, not unexpected, and point out that no females or infantrymen have signed on. Hopefully, someone will step forward to carry the torch for these forgotten groups. Embrace the heat. It will make you strong. Members of 2 of the 304th CA have proven this concept at work and at play. In fact, they assert that, you, that if you haven't logged at least a three-miler at above 120 degrees, dry bulb, in the shade temperature, you're a wussy. And that air conditioners are a crutch. But they are quick to caution that you must be well hydrated, you must start out slow, you should never increase your weekly mileage by more than 15% per week, and you must listen to your body. It will talk to you. Perfect timing. Fitness experts confirm the health risks of redeployment. According to one such expert, we see it all the time. Soldiers redeploy with these sleek, desert-hardened, heat-tempered bodies, but then they crash. They get back to Fort Bragg, and they binge on huge, juicy steaks and all-you-can-eat Thai buffets and glass after tall, frosted, icy-cold glass of yingling, and all that hard-won hardness is gone. But if they have a clear goal, something to keep them focused through the redeployment, something like a marathon, a month or so after they're home, they can beat it. Not to mention that a marathoner in training burns enough calories to eat and drink whatever the hell he wants. It just so happens that the Philadelphia Marathon is scheduled for a month or so after the unit's projected return. In fact, 
A soldier starting a marathon train up right now would be hitting the long mileage about the time they arrive back to the cool, lush hills and trails of North Carolina and would finish training back in PA during the crisp, clear days of autumn. Were we lighthearted in our naivety, a bit giddy at the prospect of going home? Clearly. But why not? Our mission in in Basra province was to end nine days later. By September 7th, we were scuba diving off the coast of Kuwait. And a day after that, on September 8th, 2003, we got our change of mission. Redeployment is all fun and games until you find out you'll be spending your fall, winter, spring in the Sunni Triangle instead of Pennsylvania. And there will be no Philly Marathon for you. To be continued next week, part two. Thanks for listening.